0: We're here to praise the one who brought life into our lives, our hearts, our minds, and our souls. So let us now pray to him who is worthy to be praised. Amen? Jesus, we come now humbled, battered, weak, we feeble-minded, praising you, Lord, bowing down in your presence Lord, in reverence to you, our Savior, who is mighty to save. Lord, now, hear us now, Lord, as we preach your word, soften our hearts. We want to incline our ears to you, to your voice, our shepherd. When we come to repentance, when we come to be doers of God's word, understanding the grace that is only in you. Thank you, Lord, for all you've done in our lives, and we submit to you now. It is in your name that we pray, amen, Amen. and amen. Amen. It was the year 1912 on April 15th. It was the day that many Americans paid taxes. But now something else happened that day. It was the Titanic, if you all remember. It was when Jack and Rose were, you know. (laughs) No, many stories came out that day particularly my favorite, is the the one of John Harper. He was a Scottish Baptist preacher. And he was invited to preach at one of the most famous, well-known churches in America then, Moody Church in Chicago. He took his young uh, young, uh, sister and his daughter with him. And uh, many will recall John Harper preaching the gospel prior to the wreckage being on the deck, preaching and asking for the uh, passengers, what what is the stage or the state of your soul? He was a man concerned with God's gospel and his word. Before the infamous ship sank on the icy waters of the ocean, many witnesses recall John Harper preaching the the gospel. He had a chance to save his, his life that day. He actually kissed his daughter goodbye and his sister put him on a lifeboat and he stayed behind to preach the gospel. It was said that John Harper climbed to the highest peak of the, chip, the ship and embraced people and was preaching the gospel. The ship sank and thanks to the lifeboat vest that he was carrying he did not succumb to the pressure of the boat it was pitch black and people screaming in agony and knowing that they, of their demise and John Harper finds a man screaming in fear and trembling and he gives him his vest and he said to him I am now going to drown and go down but I'll be raised up Years later, in Canada, there was a memorial for the survivors and the, the ones that died in, in the Titanic. And it was this man who said this. I was saved twice by John Harper. First, he gave me his life fast. Second, he gave me the gospel. I was the last convert of John Harper. Why am I getting emotional? Because as I pondered in this story, I'd ask myself, what makes a man go to the ends to preach the gospel, to leave everything that he loves and dears behind? I'll tell you what makes a man that convicted John Harper did not happen in just one day. He did not just have an epi- epiphany. He didn't just have an aha moment. It was a life of being in God's word, building convictions. And to that day came, he was ready. He was ready. We find ourselves in the book of James, verses 19 to 27, and at first John Harper's story may not seem to align with our passage this morning. But I hope that at the end of the message, we are going to meet John Harper once more. So let us read. The word of the Lord, James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27 reads, Know this, My beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness that implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Verse 22. But be doers of the word and not hearers only. If anyone thinks he's religious and does not bridle or brittle his tongue, but, dece- but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the, or- the orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Amen. I want to give a disclaimer first and then context. The disclaimer is that we're going through some passages now that if we, we don't look at it, we don't read the next passages onward with the right magnifying glass, we're going to get it wrong, as many have done in the past. We're going to come out with a legalistic, moralistic sense of the book of James. The most important passage or verse in this little small, small book is the previous verse. Verse 18. Let's go there for, for a minute. I need you to open and pay attention because this is going to set James onward. He says, Of his own will, whose will? God. Highlight that. On his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruits. Of these creatures. Why do I say highlight that? Because it is a tendency for atheists and work-based religion to pin James against Paul. Those who love to work and be doers only for their own righteousness, they'll pin James against Paul. As if their theology and their doctrines were different. What Paul says, we're saved by what? Grace. By grace, through what faith, but those who on the contrary field or the contrary camp, they'll say, "Well, wait a minute, there's James, right that you're saved and, and you're righteous with your faith and works, but which one is it? Well, let me remind you in Galatians that Paul went to James and the other apostles, and he what conversed on his doctrine he's like, here's the grace that God bestowed upon me that God gave me no, no one, no man has given me this gospel. And they all were incongruence. They were all agreeing. So James and Paul are not at odds with each other. I need you to get that clear. Secondly, this is the context of what's to come today passage. Verse 18. He brought us, us, He brought us forth by his word of truth. And I love that he says, Own will. It wasn't our will. It wasn't my strength. It wasn't how smart I am, how intellectual, how many seminaries I went to. It was God's will. It starts with His sovereignty. My salvation depends on Him. My sanctification depends on Him, not on me. And we need to get that clear. Because if not, it's a different gospel. Paul said, let it be accursed whoever preaches another gospel. I love that this passage is congruent with Paul's famous Ephesians 2, 8 to 10. For by grace you have been saved through what? Faith. Clear. And this is not of your own doing. So if it's not of your own doing, who is it? God's doing. It is a gift of God. It starts with him. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for what? Good works. This is where we're going to get into it today. But it starts with Him. Yes, you do have a will, but your will is subjected to His will. Is that clear? Understand? We're clear. Good. Today's title I actually got it from verse 18. First fruits by the word of truth. There's three points. Number one, the word produces righteousness. Number two, the word prescribes obedience. And number three, the word always, highlight that, points to the gospel making disciples. Let us get to point number one. The word produces righteousness. James starts with a call to attention. He says, Know this. Very important. Pay attention. What comes next is extremely important. If you have been born again, remember verse 18. If you've been born again or regenerated by the word of truth mentioned in verse 18, there is something that is now present in your life. James says that a true, genuine believer is quick to listen and slow to speak. Now, Married couples, don't use this verse to your spouses. James said, be quick to listen, slow to speak, honey. No. In his context, it's talking about the Word of God. Yes, it implies that you ought to be a slow speaker and a quick listener. There is some blessing in that. It was the book of Proverbs that said, when words are many, transgressions is not lacking. But whoever restrains his lip is prudent. There's principle in that. But we have to be true to the passage, to the context. What does it mean to be quick listener and slow speaker? Well, James is making sure that every true believer understands that once you've been born again through the word of God, now the Word takes a hold in the heart of the believer. You are inseparable with God's Word. The believer is ready to listen to God's Word intently, not just passively. You want to be in the Word. It is with this intention that the believers, the believers is not seeking their own thoughts, self-ambitions in the text, but rather hear God's word through the text. We do such a justice when we come in front of that book, open it, and we bring our presuppositions into the book. Maybe you're negative on your back account, and all of a sudden you open that word, and riches and prosperity comes out. Because that's what you're seeking. But it's not the truth. No, rather, God's word through the text, we we must open it up and be humble, submissive to God's word. James depicts an intentional hearer, one who yearns to see the Savior every time we open the book, to hear the voice of the Redeemer. Our shepherd is calling through his word. And not only that, this Word is what keeps us saved. What do you mean? We were saved once. We're continually being saved by the Word, He says. This is called the process of sanctification. And only God does this through His Word. Paul said it best, Now I will remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, in which you stand and by which you are being saved. The process of salvation starts with faith in Christ, and it's only faith in Christ. But how we are sustained is by God's Word. We are sustained by that. See, the process of our salvation is continuous. And through the Word of God, we are continually made to the likeness of Christ. What promise that we don't go to the book searching for my own needs but that I am made to the likeness of my Savior? What if we, what changes in our community in the way we share the gospel if we approach the God's word with humility and meekness? Prayer is important. But prayer aside from the Word is futile. Not that you have to pray or read God's Word every time you pray. Absolutely not. But the Word of God teaches us how to be in God's will, how to pray God's will. Communion with with the saints without the Word is futile. Accountability without the Word is futile. Worship, all we do here without God's Word is futile. It means nothing if God's word is not involved. Well David, I, you know, I, I'm going through a sin that has has a hold on me, and years and years has passed. Well I always wonder how your life in the word is compared to that. I'm not saying that that's a cure-all, because we need God's power. Amen? But it is God's word that keeps us centered on Christ. It is our IV line. Without that word, beloved, might as well be dehydrated. Miguel Nunez, yes, and I mention him a lot. He's one of my favorite preachers. He was my seminary professor. He said this. The degree of your sanctification of your life and mine is directly related or dependent to the time I spend in front of the Word, reading it, discovering it, and then applying it. It was Jesus who said, Sanctify them in your truth. Your Word is truth. Beloved, we cannot go on through sanctification without God's Word. It's impossible. It just doesn't happen on neutral. It just doesn't happen that way. It is the fuel that keeps us going. James is implying that a quick that a believer is quick, is a quick hearer of God's word, because it is the primary source where you and I can be connected to the mind of God. Because we are changed more and more into His Son's mind. That's how we beat sin. That's how we have lingering sin that doesn't go away. We, needs to be, we need to be on His Word. So that He works through us. It is the Word that is the perfect surgeon that has the scalpel, opens up, and goes to the tendons, and goes through the, you name it. Goes through the deep of the heart. And starts digging out all the filth, all the wickedness. But it doesn't happen if we're not in it. Daryl B. Harrison said this is not going to be on the screen. He says, read your word, the word often. Whenever you have free time. Only if only for a minute, read your Bible. It will help you keep your mind and heart. The places where God does business with you clean and pure. Take every opportunity to let God's word dwell in you richly. But the next thing he says, interesting, he says, be slow to speak. So now he tells us, be intent with God's word. Have a you know, sensitive ear to God's word. Be a Berean, but we have to be con- uh, consistent with the context. And I doubt that James is just all of a sudden talking about God's, word, about God's word and all of a sudden telling you to be so to speak. What does it mean? What, I, what I've studied to be, and I believe that James, what James is saying is be slow to teach. We see it in context. Chapter 4, he mentions it. Being tenfold with God's word, but be careful about being a quick teacher. In it, the important is the gospel must be proclaimed correctly. It's important to be an intent hearer, but be slow to speak. James says it later, Not many of you should become teachers, my brothers, for you know that we who teach will be judged with greater strictness. The other day I heard this young, passionate, famous Pastor with skinny jeans, muscle t-shirt, talking about gender ideology and homosexuality. Very famous pastor. And this guy is attracting masses. People going to his church, putting on shows. This pastor who had the platform to speak God's truth hid behind his emotions to say, God in Genesis decided to create man and female and the church was in an uproar. Yes, that's the truth. But then he said this. Quickly he says, no, 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 hear hear my heart. Hear my heart. He goes, if it were up to me and I was there with God, maybe I'll I'll ask God to create something in the middle. Man, female, but I feel you. I feel you. I'm broken hearted, he says. Maybe maybe if I was there I would tell God, "Can you make maybe A, B, C, D, G, F G?" This is why James is saying, "Be slow to speak." That's a different gospel. And Paul says it's anathema, it's a curse. It brings people to damnation, not salvation. You're preaching emotions, not the word God's word, not God's heart. In our church, we love theology. We love to preach from this pulpit, God's word. And you may see Edwin here, he has the experience, he might feel, you know, comfortable up here, but I speak for him. I know he, he has that weight on his shoulders, knowing that every time he preaches to God's people, there's a responsibility. There is that fear of God that what I'm preaching to you guys, you guys are listening, you're God's sheep, and guess what, you follow what I'm saying. That to us preachers up here, beloved, there's a way, healthy, but still there, present Not all should be quick to preach. That is what James is saying. Another posture, James says, a genuine believer must have when encountering God's word is slowness to anger. And again, it's one of those little passages that you go, What are you talking about, James? What are you talking about? All of a sudden be quick to listen, slow to speak. And now what what is it about anger and God's word? When again, when compared to the text, the word anger here must be compared to the context. When examining the original language, James uses the word orgay instead of thumas. Thumas is anger, but in a very violent sort of way. When you get a rock and you throw it at someone that is bullying you at school, or if you want to, you know, duke it out with someone else, that's not what James is saying. Orgay is more talks about a deep resentment. James, then is saying, open up your ears, read God's word, be slow to preach it, but be humble and do not build resent, resentment when you hear God's word speaking to you. When it's speaking to your heart, when it's speaking about your sins, do not create resentment towards it. Instead of that, be humble and accept it for what it is. God's Word speaking to you. It may hurt. You may cry like a baby. But know that God is working all things for your good. And also that. That when we're in His Word, God is building up your heart, your mind. Changing your desires. And I get it. It hurts that that's sanctification, isn't it? Sanctification is not a process. It's an easy process. It's not. It hurts. And if it hurts, it's genuine. So we must come to God's word with a spirit of meekness. He, he continues to say that. And humbleness. And when we do that, that's when all malice, that's when all, all, all bad sin, all that's dark in us is being presented to, in, in, at the cross. It's being laid out. He says, therefore, therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness that implanted word. Very important. That's verse 18. God already did that. It's implanted in you. He gave you life. Now what he's saying is, do not strive away from it. Continue to abiding in it. It is that continuous humble attitude towards God's word that will take us from glory to glory. It will cut deep and through all of our fleshly desires. Hebrews four twelve 12 says, For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of our soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. That's what God's word does. The word of truth will not change our will not only change our desires and our anti values, but it will also search the heart and measure our best intentions against God's word. It'll put it side by side. Your desires and your intentions. Don't even compare to the truth of God. It will bring about righteousness that God desires to see from us. But also it will bring out godly obedience. That's my second point this morning. The word prescribes obedience. It is not only awesome, great to be good listeners, to come up Sundays ready to Listen to God's word, to, to listen to Edwin preach, to Freddie preach, to hear myself preach. No. It's not sufficient. James says, verse 22, but the doer, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Very important. You may fall in love with God's word, but if that word is not working out in you is not having an effect in your heart, he says, you're deceiving, only deceiving yourself. You are Jehovah's Witness at best. But he says, for if anyone is a hearer of God's word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently as a natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away at once forgets what he was, he, he was like. <laughs> it's funny because James doesn't use a, the female version here because he knows that women, when they're in front of mirrors, they do not forget how the, what, what they look like. <laughs> Believe me, today I had that conversation with my wife. took her some time to do her makeup. I'm like, what takes so long. But man, oh man, I wake up, you know, brush my teeth, I'm quick. I'll probably forget that I even shaved a part of my back, my, my back head. It's happened to me. Ray's laughing because he knows it's true. I once left a triangle in the back. of my head. Half mohawk. And I went to work like that. That's it. But it's funny that he says that. What, is he, what do you mean, James? It's funny because if you are an intent hearer only, you will constantly hear about who you are in God's word. You know you are a sinner in need of a Savior. But if the Word has not transformed your heart to in obedience to the same Word, don't deceive yourself. According to James, it's important to be a a hearer, but most importantly, be a hearer and a doer. This reminds me of the... um, parable of the sower you have seeds that are landing in different soils and it seems to me that this man who's looking intently in the mirror and forgets who he is the seed landed the gospel landed in different soil the type of soil that does not produce any fruits this is where the rubber meets the road for many of us who come on sunday and check the list we know the lingo. We know Christianese. We know the amens, glory to God. We know God's word, but once we're out, it goes away. Mm. Beware of, <laughs> beware of being that type of believer, so to speak. It is not enough. Who have an intellectual knowledge of Christ, because the Lord said, in that day, many will say, Lord, Lord. They know, they've read them. Sunday school te- uh, teachers, Bible students that raised from their, 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 their homes, it's not enough. James says it's a mirror. And he gives two imageries, one negative and one positive. I would already explained that one. But then he says, he describes a man who looks intently into the perfect law, the law of liberty. The point here is that a Christian that is intentionally, intentional in his or her devotion with the word will find himself face to face with the gospel every day you are reminded that you still need a Savior. Not just one time. You continuously need Christ in your life. That it doesn't matter what you do or not do, Christ is sufficient. Christ becomes our all in all. And we have no choice but to fall in love with our Savior knowing that He we love him because He loved us first, and because He loved us, then we become doers. It is God's sovereignty that moves us to work and do and be doers of God's word. We heard that this morning, Bible. Bible class. There is no way that in your hearing or reading God's word, you will come up with the idea of being a pew sitter. It's impossible. That is not the power of the gospel. In the gospel we find liberty, freedom from God to work out our gifts with the purpose of fulfilling the gospel. The true believer hasn't simply adopted a new way of ethics. The true believer has been renewed, transformed. He or she is a new creation. This is only possible through the redemptive work of Christ. Without any contribution of man, the redemptive work of Christ, in other words, the gospel, or what James calls the law of liberty, impulses the believer to work out with love, not out of duty, out of love, for what Christ has done in us. That's why the word is important. To remind us that we still need a Savior. Amen? Point number three, and it seems that every time I preach, it's hot in here. Or is it just me? Maybe it's me. It's me. It's hot. It's hot. Okay. It's the AC. Okay. Point number three, the word always points us to the gospel. This is the result of God's word. We're not merely to come Sunday, study God's word, but the mission field is out there. Just doesn't end here, starts here. We go out. This is what where hopefully we're gonna meet John Harper once once again. As I said, John Harper was not a random event. Those who knew him say that he was a man of the word. Continuously reading God's word, being abiding in God's word. James gives us how a life of obedience ought to look like in the next verses. Verses 26 to 27. God's Word, if you truly are a regenerated heart Christian, God's Word is in you. you You're abiding in it. This is what God's Word is going to produce in your life. And this is where we're going to check ourselves today. James gives us three areas or distinctives that every true believer must have. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious, and we find that a lot in Miami, don't we? Everybody knows Christ. Everybody knows Jesus. I know, I, I believe in Christ my own way. You've heard that, right? My own way. Don't tell me what to su- Everybody is, in Miami at least, falls under that category. But if you say you're religious, and do not bridle brittle your tongue, you deceive your hearts. Something that the Word produces in your life is the control of your tongue. It changes your emotions, your desires, your heart. Because out of the heart, the abundance of the heart, what speaks? The mouth. That is what God's Word does. starts there. You could pump your chest all you want and say, I'm religious and I know Christ, but be cursing everybody Through traffic, through and through. The effect is clear. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil uh, evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. What a good measurement of our spiritual maturity the mouth is. It is a clear sign of how impacted we've been by the Word. And I want you to ask this morning to yourselves, how is my talk? Am I loving on others with my godly speech? Am I encouraging others to to the grace of Christ? Am I leading them to the cross? Number two, James says, "Be compassionate for others, especially for the needs of others." American Christianity become very materialistic, haven't we? Within our own circle, we choose our close closest friend. Who do I give money to? Who do I go to aid? But that's not what James is saying. James says, be compassionate for the homeless, the widows, and the orphans. And now, this is what's a main issue back in the day. It still is today. But I strongly believe that what James is saying is, the word will change your heart, all that you are, to point to the gospel and the fulfillment of the Great Commission. Mm-hmm. Have a heart for the needy. Half a heart for those who are lesser or deemed lesser, not worthy, because we ourselves are not worthy. When we are reminded through God's word where we are, where we were, and where we are today, that creates in us a compassionate heart, a soft heart. And I wonder where our hearts are today. When we are at work and we see that co-worker that we despise and hate, And we can say, Lord, only if you will replace him and put him somewhere else. Don't fire him. Just put him in another branch. I don't want to see him. You deem him lesser than you are. All of a sudden, you've become this pious, self-righteous Christian. But that's not what God's word. That's not Christ's heart. Christ's mind is to love on others that seem lesser. And that are in need of the gospel. Thirdly. We see that God's word will. Impulse us to oppose the world. Anything that. Is sinful. Anything that goes against God. And even if it seems. Emotionally good. We stay in God's truth. And we oppose them. Young believers, I'm not saying don't dress like Puritans. Don't have that little black hat and dress all in black. No, dress 2023. That's okay. But if it leads you to sin, that's what we have to biblically think. Examine the heart. What am am I doing is to, first, does it glorify God? Does it edify my people? Am I... Doing this for the reasons of sharing the gospel? Does it hinder anybody else? That's the heart. The word of God always will lead us to share the gospel in what we say, in what we do. It's not just coming here Sundays, walking out of here, telling everybody I'm a Christian. It's more than that. It's life in how we eat, what we drink, in what we say, in our relationships. A clear distinctive of a believer is how she or she conforms, conforms to God's Word and not the world. This does not mean that you, know, you have to look righteous and pious all the time. Be okay with showing others your weaknesses. Show them grace. That you too are in need of Grace. We don't live by the works of Allah law, but by faith. I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. That's what we want to show them. Not a list of doings, of list of tasks. We want to show them Christ and Him crucified. That's all we want to show them. Because that's all we depend on. we conform to God's word and not the world because Christ lives in you. In conclusion, it is not coincidence that John Harper gave his life for the salvation of others. You too could be John Harper. We build stronger convictions in God's word. We abide in God's word. And this is important for the passages to come. Because it all starts with God's Word. Anything we do in this life is pushed by God's Word. Amen? Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. Thank you for your Word. Lord, it's being preached. And again, Lord, we ask that you do what you do best just to work out in our hearts, in our minds. Turn us more to be like your son, Jesus. That's all we ask. Lord, not for our own self-righteous, but to Lord, impulse us to share the gospel with others. Use words. Live a life that points others to Christ, not ourselves. Lord, because it is in ourselves that we find sin. We find destruction only in you, Christ. We find everlasting life. Lord, lead us to the, to the cross always. The need of the, of the Savior. This in your name we pray. Amen.